Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, lovely to have you here with us. You, obviously, you know, like Sarah said, that, you know, like, do you, have, do you check weather apps and all that sort of stuff, religion, yeah, and then you watch the, some of you still watch the weather forecast, don't you? And um, basically, all they need to do is August, when the kids go back to school, weather is naff, isn't it? And then as soon as they go back to school, the sun comes out. So there you go. So welcome to September now. Here's, here's the thing. We've been doing this little series on Jesus on the beach. And if I remember correctly, um, there haven't been many instances where he's legitimately been on the beach. Is that right? Sort of, we've, he's ended up roughly on a, on a bit of a beach. But today, I can rest assure you, Jesus is on a beach. Not, I don't mean like right now. He might be. I don't know. It depends on your theology. But, uh, in this story, he is on, he is definitely on the beach. Now, uh, to help us kind of grasp this story, have you ever had a moment when, um, you phone somebody up and uh, you have a nice little chat and natter with them. This only applies to people over 40 who use phones and uh, actually talk to people on the phones. And, uh, and then you put the phone down and then you think, oh, I meant to tell them that. Do you ever know, have that kind of feeling? Or, or you've, you know, you're sitting having a chat and a coffee or a lunch with somebody and you go away you think, oh, I forgot to tell them that. Yeah, that kind of feeling. That is what is called, isn't it, a kind of senior moment, isn't it? It often happens and, and it happens kind of as one gets older and older a little bit. And some of you you're looking at each other. So I think to worry about is perfectly natural. Now, here's the thing. That's my kind of introduction. So um, the reason I mention it is twofold. One is this. If you go to the next slide, Dave, that would be great. So uh, I'll read this bit, Joe, and I'll bring you on for the proper reading is this. So this is the end of John's gospel, okay? John chapter 20, okay? John chapter 20. This is the final verse in John chapter 20, okay? Jesus worked many other miracles for his disciples, and not all of them are written in this book. It's just intriguing, isn't it? You just think, gosh, this is interesting. But these are written so that you will put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. If you have faith in him, you will have true life. That's a good ending, isn't it? That's a perfect ending, as the song says, perfect ending. So end of chapter 20, and you're like, imagine John, who's writing it. And that kind of look of satisfaction when you've done something well, you know, and you kind of you know, rub your hands and think, I've done that. Perfect. So scholars, you know, scholars, they're the people who get paid to think, really, and get paid too much money. Um, they, they get paid to think. And, and so they're a little bit confused because that is the perfect. I've got someone actually looking in a Bible here. Wow. That is the, uh, that is the perfect ending. I don't think that's where it should end. So scholars are all a little bit confused because... You just settle down. Nice ending, John. You want everyone to believe in Jesus? I love it. I see what you did there. Very good. But then chapter 21 just appears out of nowhere, doesn't it? I know you've thought that all your life, haven't you? John chapter 21, you think, what on earth is John chapter 21 doing there? So tonight, when you go home and you're having dinner, you're discussing theology with your loved ones, or, or you're with an Oxford professor, something like that, and they ring up the issue, you can tell them, it's all right, Professor Know-it-all, because all that was happening was John was having a senior moment. He thought he had written it and done, and then suddenly he thought, oh, I've forgotten the bit I wanted to say, and John chapter 21 is the bit that John wants to say. In other words, he wrote this perfect book, absolutely wonderful, and he thought, job done, and then suddenly realized, oh, 21, I've got some other things to say. Now, do you want to know a little secret? Everyone says yes to that, don't they? Um, so talking about senior moments, yeah, I've got a great little sermon around this thing, printed it out, perfect. Yeah, really good. 
Left it at home, Sarah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I thought, I was feeling so confident. I was, I kind of, we take it in terms of stand at the back when no one's at the door. And then, um, you know, I thought, I'll come down and I just opened it. I thought, you know, it, you all know I don't really check my notes anyway. Uh, so you won't say anything. And I realized I've, because of the, I've got a couple of other churches. So I've got my sermon from this morning. So that's a nice one. And then, but not the one that I was looking forward to this evening. So, so thanks for coming. And uh, get the coffee going. Yeah, yeah. don't get your hopes up. I can still remember it. So anyway, so that was my, that's a living illustration of a slightly senior moment. It's at home, printed on my desk. So there you go. Anyway, that's the perfect end. So what was it about 21? What was it that John thought, do you know, this is, I'm happy with this book, but oh, I've got to add something else on it. So Joe is going to come and uh, read it to us. It's over a few slides, so um, sort of stay with us and, uh, and we'll see what John was uh, wanting to say. So, brilliant. Thank you, Joe. Okay. When the disciples got out of the boat, they saw some bread and a chocolate fire with fish on it. Jesus told his disciples, bring some of the fish you just caught. Simon Peter got back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. In it, there were 153 large fish, but still the net did not rip. Jesus said, come and eat. But none of the disciples dared ask who he was. They knew he was the Lord. Jesus took the bread in his hands and gave some of it to his disciples. He did the same with the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When Jesus and his disciples had finished eating, he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than the others do? Simon Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I do. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus told him. Jesus asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him three times if he loved him. So he told Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. I tell you for certain that when you are were a young man, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will hold out your hands. Then others will wrap your belt around you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to tell how Peter would die and bring honor to God. Then he said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw Jesus' favorite disciple following them. He was the same one who had sat next to Jesus at the meal and had asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw this disciple, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, what is it to you if I want him to live until I return? You must follow me. So the rumor spread among the other disciples that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He simply said, what is it to you? 
if I want him to live until I return. Brilliant. Thank you, Joe. A long, uh, long reading there, but well done, Joe. It's fantastic. So, so there's something about this last chapter that John thought, I'd finished my book and thought, now I've got one more thing I want to say, a few more things I want to say. Now, scholars, the professional scholars who get paid to think and, and have a nice little life, um, they, they've got lots of ideas why that is. But broadly speaking, people tend to think it's because what John really wanted to get across was the physicality of Jesus' resurrection, that he was walking, that he was talking, that he was cooking, that he was eating. He wasn't just sort of a, a, a vague vision, you know, like the Apostle Paul has a vision of Jesus, but actually he appeared to them in the flesh and they encountered him and lived with him and something happened. So that's why they think he's got there. But I want to focus on uh, three other things. Now, I've had the privilege of uh, working with Sarah for more year, for many a year, and uh, it's, I can't remember who's track how many years. And um, do you know how to make Sarah smile? You just need to say one word to her: numbers. She's happy as anything. She loves numbers. So if you all want to turn around and have a little look at Sarah's face, because now, oh no, they are. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> I didn't do that. I, uh, I have got three points today for my talk. And Sarah, they've all got numbers in them. So, beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. So the three points are, three points as well. Look at that. Toi. That's French. Uh, uh, three. So Jesus asked three questions. Okay, so we're going to think a little bit about that three questions and then did you notice the bit about 153 fish that's fascinating isn't it so then then we're going to work out about these 153 fish and I've got them with me today and uh, then um, uh, that's for our after church and uh, then we're going to look at the one uh, calling and uh, as we do this we're going to open prayer can roughly remember what I was what I was thinking about saying so three questions so some of you would have noticed there's this really interesting interaction between Jesus and Peter, okay, or Simon as he calls them, Jesus, Simon, Peter, where Jesus says to him, uh, Simon, do you, using his first name, not the name that Jesus gave him, Simon, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, you know I love you. He said, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, you know all things, you know I love you. Now, if you've been around in church circles for a while and familiar with the Bible, you're like, oh, that's a lovely little story, and I'm quite used to that story. If you're not, isn't it really weird? I mean, what is going on there? Or is it weird? You know, there's a really interesting... Is Jesus being very narcissistic? Do you know what I mean? Saying, do you love me? Is it like a daisy thing? He loves me, he loves me not. You know, is, is Jesus being sort of asking for himself? Is it a bit of an insecure kind of moment where he's saying, you know, you, you know do you really like me? Do you like me? Do you really, really like me? Do you really like... You know, that kind of... Not that you'd ever do that, but, you know, those moments where you're not quite sure. So it's a really odd thing, isn't it, to happen? Unless you know the backstory. Once you know the backstory and the context... You begin to understand what Jesus is doing. He's not showing that he's some kind of needy person. There's nothing wrong with needing to be loved. Or he's not sort of in a narcissistic manner saying, you know, do you really love me? But do you really love me? Do you love me more than that? You know, he's not trying to have a competition, a love competition. What he's really doing is this. He's He's not asking for himself. He's asking for Peter. He's asking to help Peter. And he's asking him in order for Peter to experience some healing. So back in the day, a couple of chapters before, Peter gets asked three questions. Some of you will be familiar with it. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And three times Peter says, no, no, no. He denies him three times. Right now, Jesus is saying, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? 
do you love me? When Peter was doing this denial, and he was denying him three times, do you know where he was doing it? He was doing it in the, in the outer courts of one of the palaces or whatever. I would get confused with what goes on where. But he was doing it, and it says he was warming himself by a, do you know? Charcoal fire, yeah. So what's Jesus doing here? What's he prepared on the beach? Charcoal fire. So he's doing some, I mean, this is like 101 counseling, isn't it, really? He, I mean, he'd get loads of money these days. Uh, 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 but, you know, he's, he's creating, he's recreating this moment, isn't he? He's going quite deep, actually, into Peter's psyche and perhaps shame or sense of betrayal or unworthiness of, or perhaps just like, you never know, Peter might be thinking, look, I know what happened to Judas. It didn't end, didn't end. well. What's go- I've denied you. How does, you. You don't know what's going on in Peter's mind. But Jesus has gone back to those three questions and he's even made a charcoal fire. And in jo- early in John's Gospel, it says that Peter's warming himself by the fire, but the fire in his heart is going out. Here, Jesus lights the fire, as it were. It's the fire of Jesus is getting into his heart again and warming him up with his love. But not only that, the context as well. Jump into Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, a similar story happens. Jesus calls Peter, and he does it through, and he says, throw your, throw your nets on the other side, and they haul, it's the same sort of story, haul a massive load of, of fish in. And at that moment, there's a really cool bit where it says, Peter threw himself down at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, go away from me, I'm a sinner. It's sort of contradictory, think about it. He threw himself down at Jesus' feet and asked Jesus to go away. But he doesn't. He wants to be as close to Jesus as possible. And that's what happens when you have an encounter with God. You kind of like, you've got nowhere else to go. But when God is so near, you feel so sinful and naff and useless. And yet you realize it's the only path to salvation is God himself. So Jesus is recreating his fir- the context for his first calling. He's recreating the context for his denial. And he's creating a place where he can be reinstalled and re- reimagine and reinvigor and reignite his sense of calling just through these three simple questions. And so when you start to look at it, you think, gosh, this is a really clever bit of work that Jesus is doing here. It looks really odd sometimes, doesn't it? Of, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you? All right, Jesus, calm down, mate. You know. But actually what's happening here is these aren't questions for Jesus. They're questions for Peter. And as Jesus asked them, Peter would have begun to feel reconciled and healed. And then Jesus gives him a calling and a responsibility to feed his sheep. So I've, I've been really fortunate. I've got ordained. Sarah's been ordained. And, and um, if you can find someone in our church who hasn't, you get 50 quid. And uh, uh, not really. I don't get the 50 quid bit. And, um, uh, but, and you have to make, you go through a bit of a, a, bit of a process to do it, really. And uh, you have to make these promises and vows. And, it, and it's, it's a really moving service. You know, you say, with God's help, I will. I don't know. I might be wrong, Sarah, because my memory's not as um, detailed. But I don't think at any point in the service do we get asked, do we love Jesus? I don't, I don't think we do. No, we don't do. We never get asked that. But it's the one question Jesus asks Peter before he commissions Peter to go and feed his sheep. That's what Peter has to do. He has to feed sheep. Now, I used to work on a sheep farm as a little boy. I grew up in the country. I used to work on a sheep farm. And it's a mucky business, feeding sheep. It's not very exciting. It's, and Peter would have known what that meant. And it'd be a bit gutted because he was a fisherman. He's like, I don't really want to be a shepherd. But anyway. Um, and so you have this sense of actually the calling of Jesus only really stems out of a love for Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't say to him, Peter, can you just clarify what you think about the doctrine of the Trinity? It's really, really important. And do you think every word in the Bible is inspired or just some bits? So, Peter, um, can, you, can you, you know, really clarify the incarnation and who you think? I, or what, Peter, how are you going to govern? The, how are you going to deal with difficult people? He doesn't ask any of that. Do you love me? And everything else comes out of that love. And maybe that's the question Jesus asks us this afternoon. It's the same question. Do you love him? And if you feel like you can kind of say, on the whole, yeah, I think I do, Jesus. I'm all, I'm all in as far as I know, and you know everything. You might find him, he will be commissioning and calling you, particularly through our baptisms. There's that calling that happens, that sense of Jesus saying, well, you're going to feed my sheep. There's things you're going to do in all sorts of ways. There's all sorts of different contexts and situations, but you will feed his sheep. So that's the first uh, three questions. The second is the 153 fish. Now, this fascinates me how do they know how many there were yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly i mean were they thinking you know they, they, so there's only seven disciples in in this uh, story uh, and then two of them nip out nip out <laughs> they are outside <laughs> go outside they go off the boat because they see jesus and they off off they go and i mean can you imagine the five left thinking right, i can see jesus is resurrected and all that and there's a that's amazing he's come back from the dead that's lovely how many fish have we got? It doesn't quite. It, how would that, would you, would you be thinking about the fish? If you, you're very serious. Some of you would be, some of you are hungry. You would be thinking about the fish. But they got 153 fish. Now, if you are into numbers and maths, I don't know if anybody is, but if you are and you Google 150, the 153 fish, you will find there are essays upon essays upon Sarah is nodding she's done it I knew it <laughs> I haven't spoken to her about it about the number of 153 and there's like things like prime numbers which I just thought prime was about how you got you know your things delivered quickly but no there's actual prime numbers and there's all these sorts of ways that people add up and there's there's isn't have you, you done it haven't you said there is like countless ways of the significance of the 153 because when John wrote everything was significant that's the way he kind of it kind of uh, placed it together. So some people think yeah, there's, like, there's a square root. I don't understand what a square root is. It doesn't make any sense. But there's a square root or there's a prime number. Or if you add it in the Greek, it all adds up to the name Sarah or something. Like, I don't know. It's just There's just all these different sort of dynamics. Of but anyway, I won't bore you with all of them, partly because I haven't got my notes and can't remember them. So, But the one that I really kind of want to make mention of that is my favorite was Jerome. You know Jerome. You remember Jerome, don't you? Sixth century Jerome. Sixth century Jerome, he thought this. He said the reason he thinks there's 153 fish was he thought there was 153 species of fish. Okay. That's what, that's what Jerome thought. Now, there's probably a few more than that, but that's what he thought. And so he thought this. If there's 153 species of fish, and they've caught all the species of fish there ever is, this means this, that there is space and room for everybody in God's church. It's just lovely, isn't it? I don't think, I think there's probably more than 153 fish species. Someone here will know a bit more. Some nodding going on here. But I love the idea. I love the heart behind it, even if the facts isn't quite right or it's just what they knew in those days. What Jerome is saying is what that number represents is everybody. It's as many people as possible. And what's wonderful about it is the net. Did you know something? So the net didn't rip. It kind of held together. There's something about the space of the church that... It's difficult, it's challenging, but can hold together all different types of people. I bet you rarely go to anywhere like Top Church where you just meet a bunch of people. You think, if it wasn't for church, I, I really 
really wouldn't see any of them regularly. Uh, you know, if you look at it, it's amazing, isn't it? It's true. That is church life, you know. 153, every different kind of type of person. And that's really one of our hearts and our values at Top Church. Though it's challenging at times, but we want to be a church that is inclusive and welcoming to all. Particularly for us, that's on our heart, is the LGBTQ plus community. But anybody and everybody to experience that sense of welcome and care, that 153. And sometimes, you know, bishops and pastors have, you know, kind of looked at some fish, you know, and thought, oh, I don't like that. We'll chuck that fish out. That's no good. Or that's no good. Or only like the really nice fish, the big fish, you know, have got a bit of money about them. Or, you know, or these sorts. Of, you, you know what I mean? You sort of subtly kind of get rid of what we're saying is that we'll have any, we're not fussy. We're quite hungry. We'll have any fish, you know, fingers, however they come. Fish fingers, cod, fillet, whatever, haddock. Uh, we'll have it. But that beautiful thing represents that 153. 53, all those people gather together. And the last thing, just to note, um, is this, is the one calling. It's the one calling, isn't it? So it's just a really beautiful thing, isn't it, that we've looked at already. But, but when um, Jesus says to Peter, the one thing you've got to do is to follow me. That is it, is, is follow me. That's the one calling. And the funny thing was about Peter, don't you notice, as soon as Jesus said, follow me, I don't know if you picked up the, the, the first thing that he does. He does the exact opposite. He turns around. So if you're following somebody, if, you're, if I'm following John, I'm just, I'll be watching John and follow, you know, a little blind, is it blindfold game or something you play as a kid, you follow them and do what they say. You don't take your eyes off them. So Peter totally took his eyes off Jesus and turned around and wanted to know what was happening with the other person. I don't know if you've ever read Narnia or come across, um, you know, C.S. Lewis books, Narnia. There's, a, I think, I can't remember which character. I think it's Lucy. Here's that somebody, um, one of the one of her brothers or sisters, isn't going to go back to Narnia. And Lucy's like, but what's going to happen to them? They're not going to go back to Narnia. And Aslan, who kind of represents Christ in his book, says, "Well, that's their story, not your story. That's their story, not your story." And there's something beautiful that Peter is going to have to learn as he's going to become like the first pope or the big leader. Suddenly realizing that position of responsibility isn't to control others, isn't to sort of work out what everyone's doing and, and push them in the right direction. The responsibility ultimately is to be a witness, is to be a follower of Jesus, not to be organizing and sorting everything out. And the amazing thing is, is this. If you pop over to the end of Matthew's Gospel, which I know you will later, you'll pop over and you'll read it, you'll find that Jesus was called the Ascension. You know, we did Ascension Day once, didn't we, here? Where Jesus go, is, he sort of zooms up to heaven. You know, it's a way of explaining him going back to heaven. You go, Mark's Gospel doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do it, uh, but Luke's Gospel does it. He's sort of zooming up to heaven. John's gospel, do you know where Jesus is? He never ascends in John's gospel. He never, never kind of floats up. He's left walking on the beach. It's quite, quite a nice life, isn't it, really? He's left walking on the beach. And the picture you have is a God whose the word was made flesh and is continually so in love with his world and so wanting to walk with us in our kind of daily life daily needs continues to walk with us on the beach step by step by step jesus never sort of ascends it's hinted that he's coming back but he's never ascended in john's gospel he's walking on the beach and that beautiful image of that one calling to follow jesus not to worry about stay in our lanes you know not to worry about what everyone else is doing and or you know find out the gossip and all that kind of but focus on following jesus and now as we walk, Jesus just continues to walk with us every single step of the way. It's a beautiful picture of that. John's Gospel begins, isn't it, so dynamic of this word made flesh, this big stuff, you know, quite kind of cosmic things. But actually it ends beautifully 
with just Jesus walking on a beach. And you'd kind of think if God came to earth, the ending would be a bit more dramatic, really. You know, it could be like he was doing putting fireworks in the sky or whatever. But actually, it just ends, this beautiful image of Jesus walking on the beach and continues to walk with us in our lives day by day. That sounds like our alarm for our roof. That means somebody's on the roof, but we just let them potter around. Might as well, wouldn't it? Everyone's welcome. It's 154 fish, three. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're just um, Sarah's going to lead us in a time of prayer and um, things like that. It might just be a, a stone, John. Don't worry. Let's just pray. Loving God, thank you for this wonderful image uh, that we have at the end of John's Gospel. And we just simply pray, uh, Lord, as we draw our service to a close and worship and pray together, that we might be those who just walk and follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.